This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. The past several weeks have been challenging in innumerable ways. As we've all faced the fear and difficulties of a global pandemic, we've once again come face to face with the systems of racism and violence that allowed for the killings of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and countless others. But the world has stood up. All 50 states, countries around the world, and people of all backgrounds have protested to assert that Black lives matter. Many of us are heartbroken and emotionally drained, but I hope after the action of the last couple of weeks, we're also beginning to feel hopeful and inspired. These events echo the protests and marches of the civil rights movement in the 1960s and 70s, and this is a period at the heart of the Soul of a Nation show first exhibited at Tate in 2017. In this final episode of the season, I had the opportunity to speak with Zoe Whitley, one of the co-curators of this acclaimed exhibition, and the director of Chisholm Hill Gallery in London, to discuss the show and some recent events. Enjoy. Zoe, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Farron. Yeah, so I thought maybe a good way to start out our conversation might be to talk about the Soul of a Nation exhibition that started out at Tate. Would you be able to talk a bit about what that exhibition was about? Sure, I'd be happy to. So in 2017, I co-curated an exhibition called Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power at at Tate Modern in London. And if we were to think about modern and contemporary international art in the context of that particular institution, from 2000 to 2017, the Tate Modern will have produced a whole range of art historical retellings and explorations of various aspects of post-war American art. And Black voices and contributions were almost entirely absent from those stories. And so with Soul of a Nation, it became an opportunity for us to look at why that was, both historically and in the present, and to work with a range of artists who were willing to tell that story with us. And the exhibition has gone on to tour to six U.S. venues, and it really kind of captured some momentum. It certainly changed the face of Tate Modern in the sense of who came through the doors for that period of time that the exhibition was on. Museum goers looked a lot more like the London that I know and recognize. We were able to connect with a lot of young people. And what was crucial in that story is that we weren't reducing what artists who identify as Black, what their work looked like or what they were trying to say, that actually the beauty and the joy and the complexity of the story was the the complete lack of agreement on that. And an exhibition format is actually the perfect way to show something rather than tell it. So I think people were able to see often in the artist's own words and through the artist's own expressions, just how different points of view could exist where one artist might, you know, completely with all the conviction and validity that they could muster, say that their first responsibility was to their community as a Black person. And another artist with just as much passion and conviction and validity could be saying that They didn't want to be seen or identified based on their racial designation that, you know, someone else placed upon them. And what they were most interested in, for instance, was 
reveling in a particular shade of pigment. Yeah. And that both of these things could be true um, simultaneously and actually contested and debated and presented in the course of the exhibition became, I think, something that was really eye-opening for a lot of people. So the exhibition looks at the 60s and 70s. Does it go into the 80s as well? It does. So the exhibition okay. starts in 1963 with an exhibition that was organized by a group of artists, a loosely formed collective called Spiral. And they would meet on a regular basis in a Christopher Street storefront in New York to discuss the stakes and praxis of what it meant to be a Black artist um, mm -hmm. at that moment in time. Many of them had attended the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom together in Washington, D.C. And so coming back from that, there was a real urgency to think about what their art might do, uh, what it could do. And again, uh, the important thing was, even in that one small exhibition, as crucial as it was, they gave no single answer. There were a whole range of responses. Which seems natural to exactly. me. Exactly. I mean, this. Yeah. I think this was the thing that was simultaneously kind of eye-opening and obvious to people, that for people who'd never previously considered it, or who actually didn't give any thought to what black art was or thought that it could only be one thing or weren't aware that it was you know a contentious term even that right. all of a sudden it presented this whole range of possibilities that you could see and explore through what different artists were offering in response yeah it's interesting to me that um when joe biden announced his candidacy for president's see president <laughs> um <laughs> that he in, in that speech he says we're in a fight for the soul of a nation yeah and I saw that on the, the side of a bus and i was like yeah. wow yeah yeah I, I came up with the title of the exhibition but i certainly can't take credit for that um there's also a documentary about um i think it might be the Thai royal family that's also mm -hmm. called soul of a nation so you know it it exists in the in the wider cultural ether how did you guys land on that as a as a phrase? Mark Godfrey, my co-curator and I, I mean, we still WhatsApp like almost every day, but <laughs> we're WhatsApping like various possibilities back and forth. One that was a front runner for us because we really liked how polemical it was, was black enough. Mm. And that didn't end up, you know, being something that was, you know, necessarily palatable to everybody. But yeah. we were just putting a whole range of things together. You know, in some cases, we were listening to music from the period. So from 1963 to 1983, um, thinking about various poems. Um, certainly, I was listening to a lot of Gil Scott Heron at the time. And I started thinking about where our conversation began. You know, the fact that this was fundamentally a story of American art and a story of American art that hadn't been told in the context that we were working in. And so I also, you know, I began thinking about like my country tis of thee and, you know, pledge of allegiance and various things. And I guess it just kept coming up. And I think there's also the Coretta Scott King quote about black women being uh, the soul of a nation. And so it was one of a number of options that I'd kind of batted back and forth on the list. And then it ended up being on a kind of short list. And it was one that we were able to agree upon with, you know, our kind of curatorial colleagues and directors at the museum.
the more you think on it as a phrase, it's so deep. It really resonates. You know, it's, it speaks to the depth of, um, I guess, the stories that are being communicated and the issues that are some some of the artists are engaging with in their work. I think that was the I think that was the idea, you know, that they're kind of multifarious meanings for how we interpret the word soul. Um, but thinking very specifically about nationhood and who may or may not be left out of those conceptions of nation and certainly historically how we as black people have been you know excluded from the kind of popular cultural narrative or image of mm-hmm. what americanness is or looks like that it right. seemed to to cut across a lot of different important issues that mattered to all of the artists equally so there's obviously a lot of uh, civil rights issues that are addressed in some of the works in the show. And that is kind of a through line, I guess, that ties into some of the things that are going on right now. And when you and I spoke previously, you told me about a really interesting art initiative out of Philadelphia, I think it is. Yeah. So Meg Olney and some of her friends, um, actually round two has just launched. So oh, really? Okay. I encourage everyone to take a look at artforphiladelphia.com. Um, They're raising money for Philadelphia Bail, and various artists are involved through the sale of limited edition prints. Each print there are 20 of, and they've actually, to tie us back to the kind of earlier institutional conversation, this second round, they have also offered a package for institutions that want to purchase all of the prints in this second round. So I think that it's a very historical moment but what I appreciated was that a curator activist Meg Olney as I said was looking to affect change and to do it quickly and Mm. institutions of whatever size don't tend to move um, with the greatest of speed or nimbleness so she worked with friends and artists within the local Philadelphia art community to make something happen and to make something happen immediately I think that's so important to do what you can. I think people feel, uh, what can I do? I'm just one person. And I think it's about thinking about what you're able to do with your resources and making impact, even if it's just on an individual level, you know? And I think what was beautiful about the project was that, you know, again, it wasn't just an individual, you know, just picking up the phone the way she describes it in a really useful um, IGTV post about, how you can do it too, you know, this information sharing, this sense of, you know, if you want to do something, looking at who else you know, who else you trust that you can build together with. And so it was very inspiring to see that happen and for it to happen so quickly. Are there any artists or artworks that you've been thinking about recently, um, maybe tied to these kinds of themes or otherwise lately? Well, I'm, I'm kind of constantly talking to artists. So I'm in a conversation by email right now with um, a Norwegian artist named Frida Orupabo, who's made some, I think, very meditative works about the Black female body and also mm-hmm. what it means to be positioned as both a Black woman and a European woman and within, entangled within a particular history. So many artists that I'm talking to now, I think, need this moment to kind of rest and recover. I think everyone is very perhaps demanding of 
wanting artists to to say something and to speak in this moment, but they're all living through this as well. So I think that a lot of what's to come will be a kind of slow burn and a slower a slower process. Yeah. Maybe as like a last thought, you know, we're talking about art in this kind of context and a lot of people are thinking about these themes as they relate to their fields, be it, you know, STEM or humanities or what have you. Generally speaking, I guess, why do you think that art is important for a community or for a person to engage with? How does it maybe enrich a person's life, do you think? I think it does it in all sorts of ways. I think when the question is asked, it puts such a a heavy burden on, you know, art, like with a capital A, to be mm. able to do so many things that, you know, maybe it isn't designed to do, you know, to kind of heal social ills and, you know, bring us all together. And, and not everyone, we don't always have a kind of transcendental moment in front of a work of art. But equally, I think that Art exists in all of our lives in so many different ways. In some ways, we there are aspects of it that we don't question. So, you know, what it means when we're able to gather together to be at a music concert and to just lose yourself in a song or a particular piece of poetry that maybe you had to memorize for a school project and it's always stayed with you or yeah. something that's particularly entertaining or beautiful that you watch because you've downloaded it on Netflix or, you know, any other platform. I think that there are just a lot of different ways. There's something that seems quite esoteric about, you know, what we might call fine art, the visual arts, for whatever reason, because it's not necessarily so that we've all grown up with paintings or sculptures in our homes. Or, you know, if you've only think of that as something that exists, you know, elsewhere. And I've always been kind of heartened by how much the way that artists are in the world kind of gives us something interesting to see and to think about. You know, an artist like Lauren Halsey in Los Angeles right now is creating organic food boxes to make sure that people in South Central Los Angeles have what they need to eat and be healthy. You know, Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of different ways that people are able to mobilize what it is they're thinking about. You know, I just got a text message this morning because the artist Lubaina Himid has done a print for The Guardian, and it references both a range of literary sources, but also kind of emphatically states Black Lives Matter, um, and it's yeah. a really beautiful print. And I think that there are these ways that We can look to artists sometimes to express things in a way that we hadn't previously seen or that help through the beauty of what they're doing, help us connect to things that are ugly or hard that we couldn't otherwise process as easily. We all find our way to art in very different ways. So I don't have a kind of like, you know, stump platform that, you know, here's why art should matter in anyone's lives. You know, I actually understand very much why certain people would feel alienated from the kind of structures and trappings around art with a capital A. But this is why I think that, you know, artists are often able to cut through that. The more that we remember that that they are people who are bold and creative and before the rest of us acknowledge that they were artists, they knew it about themselves. I think those types of ways of thinking differently, of, of being independent, of 
putting something in the world that didn't exist before. All of those things I'm just constantly inspired by. Yeah, that's all a very beautiful thought, (laughs) really. I think it acknowledges the complexities uh, in, in the sector, so that's really perfect. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, no, it was my pleasure, Farron. Thank you very much. It was really a joy. Thank you. The Soul of a Nation exhibition is still touring, and the next stop will be the Museum of Fine Arts, Houston, from June 27th, if you're near that area. If you found this episode interesting, I encourage you to go back and find episode 43, where I discuss Black portraiture and European painting with Michael Ohajuru. It's a fascinating discussion with another great guest. We're going to take a brief break before we're back for season six, but we won't be gone long. In the meantime, don't forget to visit artuk.org to explore art and stories related to each episode. Take care of each other, and as always, thank you for listening, and please join us again next time.